0: Today, we're talking to Sasha from Thrive Market about his tactics for scaling his business as a technologist. You're listening to Joel Beasley, Modern CTO. So I actually learned about Thrive when preparing for this interview, and it looks like it would be right up my alley. Uh, can you tell me a little bit like about what it is from a high level
1: yeah, so, so Thrive Market's a, a membership-based online grocery store, so our members pay us $60 a year or $12 a month, so similar to a Costco membership, and in exchange, they get member-only pricing uh, and free delivery on a top-selling catalog of the highest quality natural organic grocery products, so the kind of stuff you'd find at a high-end or health-focused grocery store like Whole Foods, except the price is up to 30% off, delivered delivered free to their door. So the mission of the business is to make healthy living easy and affordable for as many uh, people as possible. So we want to be able to provide access to those higher quality natural organic products at prices that are closer to the conventional, uh, the conventional equivalents. And then the uh, business has been around since since late 20- 2014. So almost, almost nine years into it at this point.
0: And did you get started at the very beginning or did you come in part way through?
1: No, I was there more or less in the beginning. I was one of the, the co founders of the business. So uh, I ended up meeting my business partners, Nick Gennar and Kate, in the summer of 2014. So I'd been an e commerce entrepreneur for about three years before that. I'd run a company in um, you know, the fashion technology space. Um, you know, just ended up selling that business and figuring out what to do next. Uh, I knew I wanted to work on uh, another business from the ground up. I knew I wanted to work with business partners who'd you know, been through the grind a few times and had already seen success in their their entrepreneurial careers. Uh, but probably most importantly, I wanted to work on something that had some real scale potential and that was in an industry that was sort of closer to my personal interests. So you know, health and wellness is something that's subsequently personally important to me. Um, you know, more more so than, than women's fashion. So you know, we ended up getting connected through some mutual friends in the in the LA venture scene. Um, and, you know, over the course of a few weeks, you know, just just fell in love with the mission of the business and what they were looking to accomplish and then jumped on board in it was uh, it was July of July of 2014. It's so just about just about nine years ago now.
0: And so the way it works, because I buy a lot of the organic type mm-hmm. food. And so right when I saw it, I was like, yes, this is going to be cool. Yeah. So I buy membership. It's like 60 bucks a year. And then I get like random coupons on the thing. I tell it what I buy and then it just gives me coupons here and there. Is that right or no?
1: No, so it's. Uh, I mean, you will you will get deals. So you sign up for membership, and then you know you can you can browse and build a basket uh, the same as you would on any other e commerce site. So we host, we own and manage all our own inventory. So we carry about fifty five hundred products. Uh, we fulfill them out of our own fulfillment centers and a network of oh. uh, third party logistics centers that we also manage. So we, you know, it's all product that's curated by our team. It's held to the highest standards in the in the grocery industry. So we carry, you know, probably about the top five percent of uh, of the national organic products that are available today. So everything's carefully selected for ingredient quality, you know, the ethics of the supply chain. Uh, it's tagged according to ninety plus filters for you know your dietary preferences, ingredient sensitivities, health goals, and so on. So. You know, our goal is to make that that shopping journey really easy for the health focused consumer. So you would you buy your membership, you know, you jump on to the website or the mobile apps. Um, you can go through a personalized onboarding sequence where you answer a lot of questions about the kinds of products you're interested in, you know, your diet, your lifestyle goals, and so on. We will recommend products to you, but uh, you know at the moment you're building that basket. Our average customers you adding you know upwards of fifteen items to the cart. You know once it's past forty nine dollars, you get free shipping in the order, and then you know you kind of hit place order like any other e-commerce experience and we'll deliver to your door in, in a couple of days.
0: Oh, that's that's actually really cool. So you're like a giant online grocery store.
1: Correct. It's 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 online only. Uh, you know, we only sell through our own platform. Uh, consumers transact transacted our platform. We manage the logistics and delivery to your doorstep. Uh, and unlike kind of local delivery options, we ship through national carriers. So, you know, we have customers in almost every zip code across the lower 48 so we can, we can deliver to urban areas but also also customers who live in food deserts where there's no local option um so that's uh that's one of the the things that makes it a little bit different from some of the other players in the space
0: how do you deal with the temperature control
1: so for the most part we do uh dry non-perishable so the kind of stuff you'd find at a center aisle package goods that's the the bread and butter of our business uh we do have an assortment of frozen meat uh seafood and other kind of freezer aisle products that we ship um you know, using you know using insulation and and, and cold packs um, during the summer months for products that are temperature sensible sensitive, we'll use cold packs as well. So, chocolate's an example of where you know in the winter it'll ship just fine through national carriers, but during the summer months when the temperatures get get hot enough, we have to refrigerate it uh, in transit. Sometimes, when the temperature crosses you know a threshold beyond which we can't deliver, uh, we can't maintain quality of service, we'll. You know, we'll kind of mark those items as unavailable in the store at the time. Uh, but you kind know, of frozen meat and seafood and frozen essentials and most of the dry goods are, are available year out.
0: So if it's like the height of summer in Florida, we're getting a heat wave and I want a chocolate bar, that's probably going to be marked as non-deliverable.
1: Correct. Because past a certain, uh, you know, given these products, spent a couple days in a, uh, you know, a FedEx truck know past a certain temperature threshold you know if all the insulation that we can use isn't gonna make isn't gonna make a difference in preserving quality you know we're not gonna ship in styrofoam uh we're not gonna ship air freight uh for sustainability reasons so you know I think our our members have kind of learned to work around some of those limitations um but at the same time also appreciate that we're you know we're we're building a business that obviously caters to the, needs of the consumer but also takes into account other stakeholders like you know the environment
0: yeah and I, in conversations, I like to find the edges of everything, (laughs) um, but it makes sense. Like in my mind, I like to reduce things to make them simple. And I would say, okay, for those center food type aisles, like if I want to get some high quality, I eat a lot of almonds, I eat a lot (laughs) of cashews, those types of things. I could get those from, or my kids, like my daughter's gluten-free, so she needs the special gluten-free, um, goldfish type deal. So you guys have a lot of that organic and gluten-free stuff, right?
1: C- correct, and you know we 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 not only merchandise. You know, every, everything that you mentioned there is sort of our bread and butter. So whether it's snacks, nuts, meal ingredients, all that stuff, we carry. We also, you know, try to make it as easy as possible for consumers to identify. You know, if you're following a gluten-free diet, there's a gluten-free filter that will allow you to parse everything in the store. The recommendations that you'll see once you declare yourself as a gluten-free consumer will, you know, will be oriented towards that uh, that dietary restriction and so on. So. Your goal is to reduce as much of the kind of thought and effort for the shopping process as possible.
0: Yeah, I saw that when I was going through the the onboarding process of selecting <laughs> gluten-free. But you can obviously turn that off, right? Because my wife and my son aren't gluten-free, but me and my daughter have to be. And um, so you would be able to it, – it just helps how it pre- preferences the screen. If you're selecting I'm a gluten-free consumer, you can still get all the other stuff.
1: Correct. I mean, the shoppers are going to have full control. Um, you know, we will continue to recommend products based on both things you're explicitly telling us about yourself and also, you know, what you actually end up buying and browsing and searching for will inform future recommendations. But, you know, ultimately, like, obviously, everyone can, everyone can shop the full catalog and we're not, we're not hiding any products from consumers and so on. This is an area that we are continue to focus on. So, you know, as we, as we continue to evolve the platform, one of our goals is to really you know really continue to lean into this idea of one-to-one personalization and make sure that you know we can continue to you know, really reduce that effort and continue to present the products to consumers that are most most relevant for their needs based on based on as many signals as, fallen, as we can gather about uh, about your behavior and you know the kinds of products that you orient towards
0: a lot of our listeners are technology leaders and uh, they're growing in their career and people ask me constantly Uh, about different tips and all of that. I know there's not just one thing, but I'm curious when you're going about growing this company and then scaling it up, you run the technology side of things. You've got lots of great technical people on your team and technical leaders, but what's something that a leader or an engineer does that stands out and, and you think to yourself, I want to give them more. I want to invest in them because of this behavior or something that they're doing. What is that thing that stands out to you?
1: I don't think there's any one thing, but I think what we tend to emphasize the most is is ownership. So we're you know we're we're a growing business. We're still a, a relatively small team. Um, you know anyone who comes to work at threat market, you know, within the matter of days or weeks is going to be working on something that is fairly business critical. And if we're really in a position to empower them, you know we want to see the folks who who take on those problems as if it were, they were their own regard, you know, their time at Thrive Market as not just kind of a job that pays the bills, but an entrepreneurial journey that they get to be part of. And what you see with that is, you know, you see, you know, better decision make, better autonomous decision making. So, you know, be able to, you know, make the right decision for the the long-term success of the company and the consumer, even when you know it may involve kind of short-term effort or short-term pain or more kind of war work or more ambiguity. You see more discretionary effort, so you know people will go above and beyond to to solve a problem and solve it permanently without having to be told to do so. Uh, and you see people who who think ahead because they're you know they're they're regarding kind of their their role in this journey as being long term. They want to make sure that the technology they build you know isn't just functional today, but you know is is flexible and scalable enough to meet the needs of tomorrow. So I'd so say that's the that's the biggest thing, and it's. You know, it's it's one of those things that it's, it's like hard to measure in metrics, but you know, I think all of us sort of know the people who who exemplify this, you know, in their in their workforce, but also in their in their lives. So I think, you know, for, for businesses our stage where, you know, we're we're kind of charting kind of an unknown course in some ways, right? Like we don't know exactly, you know, how we're gonna how we're gonna evolve the business over the course of any given any given year in the future. You know, we need folks who you know, who really kind of take on our problems as their own and, and go bum beyond to solve them
0: Do you think because that was your mentality with your founders from the beginning that it's somewhat baked in like an, it's an expected behavior that employees will see across the entire company?
1: Uh I do. So it's uh you know, it's it's codified in our values. So, you know, tenacity is one of our values. So you know, that boils down to, you know, we really want folks who you know if we'll be scrappy we'll deliver results so you know it's in the it's in the conversation you know it's how we go we're kind of running performance review cycles like it's in the it's in the language that's used there and it's definitely it's definitely part of the the expectation on a on a day-to-day basis nice
0: nice have you built a family like do you have wife and kids and
1: all that I do, yeah. It was uh, it was mentioning Josh. Uh, I've been married for several years. We we've got a nine month old daughter uh, and, oh, a, and a two year old dog at home. So uh, <laughs> so it's been it's been a fun couple of years expanding the household, and uh and kind of diving diving headfirst into parenthood. Oh, I'm
0: I'm just a, a step or two. I've got a six year old, a four year old, and a ten month old. Yeah. So <laughs> is amazing. the is the baby sleeping through the night yet?
1: Uh, she is for the most part. It's uh, like she'll be she'll be up at five a.m. like clockwork, but yeah. uh, but she sleeps well.
0: Well, at least you didn't have a boy. Boy, you get punched in the crotch at five a.m. like clockwork.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think, I think oh. for everything I've heard from uh, from parenting advice, I think girls are girls are a little bit easier earlier on in the uh, in the parenting journey. So, oh, but, for uh, sure, yeah.
0: So, does your wife is she a is she a user of the application? It's a is it an application or just a website?
1: Uh, it's both. So we have, we have a website and, and mobile apps for, for iOS and Android. So yeah, we, we, we both use it and, you know, have been since, yeah you know, since, since, since we launched, it's sort of, you know, central to our, our grocery shopping rhythm. Now obviously like we don't, uh, you know, we also go to the traditional grocery store, but, uh, but for all our kind of non-perishable essentials thrives, um, thrives the choice.
0: As you guys are hitting scale, I saw you have a huge background in technology, um, pretty cool career there at Microsoft and some other places. And also you have that founder streak in you as well. But I'm curious, uh, like now that you're hitting this scale, obviously that you have several, there's several hundred employees. It's a, it's a big or it's a medium, I guess SMB, but it's growing, right. And you're serving the whole country. What type of scale issues from a technology standpoint are you currently working on today?
1: So it's such interesting. I was thinking about this. I mean, the, the the beauty of being software is in in many ways the technology is actually the easiest part to scale you know particularly for business like ours we've been cloud native since day one um you know our you know we've got we've got kind of a headless composable system that's a mix of mix of different services that we can scale independently you know tools like like aws have provided you know, managed services to cover such a broad range of the kinds of resources that we would need to need to consume on technology platforms so actually We've had surprisingly few challenges scaling the actual core technology platform, but at the same time, you know we're a we're a physical goods business delivering delivering physical product to to consumers. So, so that's the area where scaling is is more challenging and has to be managed with a lot more a lot more rigor. So. You know, to kind of give you a sense of the the pace we went through in the early stages of the business. You know, we we manage our own fulfillment since day one, so we uh we, we kind of manage or hold our own inventory, we pick pack and ship our own uh, our own boxes, and it's it's atypical for you know really early stage e-commerce businesses to do that. But we chose to do that for a couple of reasons. One is, you know, no one is actually doing this. Back in 2014, certainly no one is doing this in grocery at all at any scale. So like the quality of service would have not been something that we'd have gotten from a third party. Second is, you know, we want to be able to take as much cost out of our entire supply chain as possible and pass those savings on to the consumer. So so we we took this on and when we launched the business, we had 2,500 square feet of of warehouse space and within 18 months that expanded over 700,000 square feet of warehouse space in a very short period of time. So. You know, then managing those transitions uh, you know, while maintaining quality, efficiency, and um, yeah, qual- quality and efficiency at that pace is really challenging because you're, you know, you're hiring a lot of people. You've got to get those people trained. You know, every order needs to go out with the same um, with the same SLAs and kind of quality level as the one before. So. That's been an area of major investment for us, and you know, it kind of comes down to getting uh, a combination of the right leadership into some of those roles on the on the operational front and the more operationally intensive side of the business, and then having you know having good process and also you know really keeping our ear to the ground in terms of how consumers are uh, are receiving the experience and making sure that we we've got both. You know, good metrics, but then also you know, good qualitative check feedback channels to to ensure that things aren't degrading as the volumes uh, as the volumes grow. So, in terms of the kind of the the consumer facing aspects of the business, scaling logistics has been you know the most kind of challenging and resource intensive part of it. Um, beyond that, you know, as, as companies scale, um, you know, the the areas that get really interesting are you know, as so we've hired a lot of people, you know. How do we continue to ensure that people have the same level of alignment to the mission context around what we're trying to do um, as when we were a really small company? So we kind of fit everyone into a single room. It's really easy to keep everyone aligned. You know, once you're at several hundred people often doing really specialized roles, some of which some of whom have not been with the company a long time and don't have the kind of tribal knowledge that the early folks do, you know, it's really easy for uh, for businesses and, and, and individuals to sort of get, get out of alignment with the, the core business. And the way we've tried to tackle this, and you know, this is continuous work in progress is, you know, how do we how do we continue to focus on company values and have that be kind of a consistent language that we use to you know drive, you know, who we bring in to the team, you know, how we expect people to make decisions, you know, what those decisions should result in and so on. And the other piece is, you know, being as transparent as possible as a company and providing as many people as much context as, as we can. So example of this is, you know, we still you know, we still do a weekly all hands meeting where we invite the entire company. You know, there's you know well over well over 200 people in in the corporate offices today. And the meeting goes for an hour. So it's a, it's a very expensive meeting. But we, you know, we cover everything from who's coming, who are sort of the new employees who come into the company at the time, who celebrated an anniversary to, you know, rundown of all the business metrics for the past week. So we're, you know, we try to be as open a book as possible about, uh, you know how the company's doing what matters, what are the strategic priorities you know where are we where are we trying to get to in the next quarter or next year, so that everyone can start to you know can connect the dots as cleanly as possible between their their day to day work and uh, the objectives of the business that
0: 's pretty cool. Are you having a lot of fun doing this
1: yeah it's uh i mean it 's been it 's been nine years and it 's been just an incredible learning experience so you know it's it 's rare to be able to come into a job where you know just by virtue of the scale, the scaling of the company, and the scaling of the teams, and the scaling of our problems, like you're learning new things every, you know, every year certainly. So, you know, if I wind back to the beginning, like you know, so I was writing all the code on the platform, and like you know, with a couple of the developers got locked. So it was very much in the weeds, very hands on. Since then, I've learned to learn to delegate, learn to hire the right kinds of people, learn to put in process and structure and, and scale myself as a leader. And one of the benefits of being in a mission-driven company is we've been an absolute talent magnet within technology and also in, in the other functions for you know absolute you know best in class people at every level of seniority in every function so it's just been an awesome learning opportunity to see the new perspectives that some of these folks bring in and you know it's, it's sort of almost magical right when you're when you're a founder and you're used to doing a lot of different things and doing it sort of so-so to see someone who's an absolute domain expert in that space come in and start to operate. So and we, we continue to see that with every, you know, certainly every senior hire we bring into the team these days, you know, is continuing to have transformative impact. So that keeps it, it gives it really exciting and engaging. Um, and the other half is just the the positive impact we're able to have. So we, we serve, you know, over a million households at this point. So those are all you know, folks for whom we're able to provide access to to healthy essentials that they may not have been able to uh, to afford on a, on a habitual basis before. So, you know, it just makes it an incredibly incredibly fulfilling place to work.
0: That is pretty cool. And so, you yeah. can get this food anywhere that you know UPS and FedEx are delivering.
1: Uh, correct. So we we ship to all the lower forty eight. We don't we don't do Alaska Hawaii yet, just because the, the the freight rates are are prohibitive at the at the moment. Um, but yeah, every every zip code, everything other than PO boxes, we can uh, we can get deliveries in.
0: And then you've been doing this for basically a decade, right? And you were one of the first players in this in this space, and you did it. You made the right move by you know being able to control the entire experience end to end, and not like subbing it out to a third party logistics type company. But standing where you are today and looking back, you know, nine ten years ago, is there anything that you would have done? Differently at the beginning,
1: I think it's one of those sort of move, move slowly to move fast uh, things. So we, we, I didn't hit this when we were talking about how we scaled. I think the, I think the areas where a lot of businesses get challenged as they get larger is, and we were, we were by no means immune to this. Is you know when you, when you've got, a, when you've got no resources, you stay laser focused on, on, on what is, what is ahead because you're really avoiding existential threat at that point. You know, as our business scaled, we were able to raise capital. We're able to kind of have resources, have a team, and at that point, you're confronted with you know a real universe of possibilities. So, one of the things we definitely had sort of in I think about kind of year three, four, five of the business, for example, is there was some real shiny object syndrome because you know we were in a very large market. There's a lot of ways that we could potentially have grown the business, Um, and we had you know we had the capability to kind of theoretically go after a lot of these. So. Uh, I would say if I went back, you know, I would bring, ideally, a lot more discipline to decision making. So, you know, our ability to kind of orient and act quickly, I think, is generally speaking the strength. But kind of taken taken to an extreme, you end up with a lot of investments that don't necessarily pay off long term. Uh, versus spending spending more time on kind of deep thinking and planning to figure out what are the what are the few things that are that should really be non negotiables for the business. So, and I think. You know, biggest sign of maturity in our business to me is, you know, that is very much the way we think these days. So, you know, we've done a better job kind of filtering down, you know, the universe possibilities down into a a smaller set of commitments that we, you know, we try to really, really knock out of the park.
0: I learned that personally. (laughs) Once you start to have success and you have money and you can do different things, you can quickly... Uh, work yourself to death, and then also have too many irons in the fire, real, real quick, uh, and then you just learn, and you're like, well, that didn't, that's not going how I wanted to go, and you develop that discipline, and yeah, very cool, man. This is this is awesome. So, what's what's next for you guys? What are you and your co-founders talking about right now?
1: So, I think the focus is on. I mean, one of the nice things for us is the actual, yeah, you know, the mission of the business, even the vision of how we achieve it, hasn't really changed. So. You know, the big priority for us going forward is, you know, how do we continue to work towards cracking the code on on grocery e-commerce? So, and, you know, I I don't think this is like a single solve that we're going to put in place, but fundamentally e-commerce paradigms from a UX perspective have been around a long time. In many cases, people are shopping for groceries online the same way they were shopping for books in the 90s. And that may not be, may not necessarily be the right long-term pattern to create true Kind of habit formation for uh, for online grocers like us, so you know we're we're really hyper focused on how can we eliminate you know how do we eliminate friction from that experience? How can we help consumers build carts of you know fifteen to twenty items rather than one to two items that the average e commerce retailer has to has to deal with? And how do we build for you know a high frequency experience where we're we're creating a real habit in our platform? So you know average average grocery shopper in the country goes to the grocery store you know one and a half times a week. So that's that's much higher frequency than most e-commerce platforms will'll will ever see. So you know how do we get as close to that experience for consumers as possible while you know taking taking the guesswork um, all the inconvenience the decision making as much the decision making as possible out of the equation So you know that means for us you know continue to lean into onboarding and personalization uh, and being able to predict the kinds of products that people would want in their in their grocery baskets and so both their both their initial orders and then on an ongoing basis, the the things they would need to replenish. So we're in a we're in a nice place where, you know, 95% of our catalog is consumables, so things you'll you'll run out of and eventually need to reorder. Um, so we already have we already have the benefit of frequency and the fact that people are ordering these things multiple times in our in our data sets. So, you know, looking ahead, you know, combining all the data we have you know, with the power of, you know, some of the kind of emergent technologies like LLMs to be able to figure out how can, we, how can we help consumers express their their preferences in the most kind of natural, intuitive ways possible? How can we leverage both our internal data and also, you know, the plethora of third party data that's out there and accessible now to help, uh, help provide recommendations and, and basket building tools to them? And then, you know, how can we create the right experience that keeps them you know, keeps them shopping on a recurring basis on our platform, while while also ensuring that we're not, you know, we're not accidentally overwhelming customers with product and setting setting that right balance where we feel like, you know, real a real value add utility on a on a consistent basis.
0: I did about fifteen years ago. I did a project, Boar's Head, the meat company, and they, I, so I learned a little bit about some of the things that they think about. And one of one of the fun facts that I pulled away from that is the way that they the different grocery stores are structured, the flavors and you know, seasonals and all that stuff will actually be community dependent, right? So one community will have different shopping patterns than another, and that will dictate the inventory and the locations and all of that. When you guys are watching all this data across the lower 48 states, do you see any cool? Trends, patterns, interesting things happening with purchasing
1: behaviors. So we definitely see trends that are both, you know, th- There's definitely seasonality to our business, uh, as well as you know different you know, different types of products tend to resonate with different different frequencies. You know, between our, our east coast centers and our and our west coast centers. I mean, our catalog is nationalized, so uh, at least at the moment today, we sell exactly the same product nationwide, regardless of where you're located. So. I think over time, you know, hopefully there is an opportunity for us to, to lead into um, lean into those local preferences in a more in a more intentional way. So right now, you know, our recommendation systems and so on will take customer location into account uh, in terms of what ends up getting what ends up getting recommended. Uh, but I think there's a lot more to be done there in the future.
0: You guys have customers who are asking for fresh groceries. Uh, like, it uh, does come like up, strawberries uh, and things like that. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, it's uh, you know, it's it's certainly our long term ambition to be kind of a full uh, a full solution to members, and it? It, it it is absolutely something that that comes up in customer feedback as a as a resonant theme. You know, we've, we've started the business uh, focused on the non perishable side of the catalog because you know it's it drives a very significant portion of the basket. Uh, it's it's obviously from an e commerce fulfillment perspective a a lot more a lot more manageable, but, but over time it's, uh, you know, fresh is is something we want to conquer.
0: Yeah. When we, we use the Instacart thing sometimes. And, but what we don't order from the Instacart is like fresh fruit or certain meats because they just kind of pick the first thing that they see. And we like to, you know, get the, the meat and the vegetable or the meat and the fruit that, you know, we like that'd be, I'd be curious to see how that problem gets solved on a, on a larger scale, I guess it would just be your teams having a a high, a high quality like level of standard, like a standard of what what the fruit could be, or things like that.
1: Yeah, I think that's. I mean, that's definitely feedback. You know, we've heard we when well, we've studied the space. You know, everything from you know everyone's got their kind of unique preference around the level of ripeness they want in a banana or an yeah. avocado or something, and wants to wants to pick their I mean pick their own pick their own steak out of the case. It's interesting, but it's not a. I haven't seen anyone solve this yet online, uh, and it's it's doubly tough for a marketplace business like Instacart, where you know, they just don't have the level of a level of control as a kind of a, a phone, like a direct retailer like like we would be able to. You know, the good news is I think most of the you know things like ripeness levels and so on. You know, most of the data is actually available under the hood, so you know. Whether, whether it be us or, or some other retailer, I think there is a, you know, there's definitely a pathway towards being able to expose more and more of that to the consumer. Yeah, I think there's probably limits in terms of, you know, if you're if you're literally kind of sifting through sifting through fruit or, or cuts of meat and wanting to pick the exact one you want. Um, I imagine that's gonna be a little tough to replicate. But you know it's a, it's a little bit of trade offs, right? Like most of mo- most of convenience involves like, a little bit of you know giving up a little bit of control to be able to kind of get value in a different area so you know it's one of those things where it may not be it may not be something that everyone uh, ends up habituating into but i think there's there's obviously you know a consumer maybe less you know less 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 picky or less less concerned about the exact uh the exact item they get i mean it's sort of interesting going through this over the over the pandemic, because you know, it was you it know, was very much in the same boat, where you go in and feel every single thing and, and be be very selective. Uh, but once you've gone through getting your groceries delivered, sort of, almost forcibly for for several months, uh, it's sort of interesting what you get used to. So, no.
0: when you mentioned a couple times when we first started talking about the mission and it not changing and it being clear. That's a hard thing to do how did you and your co-founders did you make mistakes or how did you talk about keeping that North star the north star
1: so I mean I, I mean I'll start off by saying look we, we, we're a bit fortunate in that both the I mean the mission of the business is, is is fairly broad right we're focused on on access and making making these healthy essentials easy and affordable for everyone so that's a it's a broad range of ways in which could, one could attack that problem and and, and make progress towards it We've also been very committed to the membership as our vehicle uh, to deliver that value. So for a, kind of a fixed cost on an annual basis, you know, we're able to provide our members a significant multiple of what they would pay us in the membership fee in in savings on our on our platform. And that's, you know, I think one of the biggest decisions we made was, you know, we, we were going to stick to this from the early days. So there's this kind of, if you wind back to 2014, 2015, it was... It was a time where a lot of other businesses were moving away from from membership models. So, you know, Jet.com is a famous example. So they lost their membership, you know, during during their beta phase, removed the membership when they when they went out to market. Yeah. So so we sort of looked at those businesses a lot hard to figure out like is this like should we be doing this? But you know, I think fortunately we made the decision that, you know, the the value equation we're able to create for both the business and the consumer through through membership is very differentiated. Because obviously, you know it helps us front load our profitability as a business uh, and allows us to kind of invest that back in creating creating both the right customer experience but then also providing that that underlying value in terms of the savings we can deliver on on products so that that fundamental engine has you know has remained through the you know through these 9 years and obviously we've presented the membership in different ways and now we you know we you know, previously you'd buy a membership at checkout, now you buy a membership up front. So we've, we've actually had the membership become even more front and center. So I think the fact that, that that dynamic worked has been really, really helpful. The The other major area, you know, is in being able to find these like, like real win-win solutions and prove that, you know, our commitment to the mission is not a, it's not a cost center for the business, you know, we're able to find ways where it resonates, you know, with you know all our stakeholders are with our consumers their suppliers the environment and so on so an example of this is you know we've we've gone zero waste in all our fulfillment centers which you know you sort of look at it from arm's length that feels like something that you'd invest you know invest real capital in and as is a, is a cost center you know what we found is we've actually been able to do this in an roi positive way so and you know which means you know all, like all the cardboard and other kind of waste products that coming out of fulfillment that we're able to recycle and resell uh, we're able to make back the cost, the capital investment that goes into uh, goes into funding those programs. You know, and since then, we've, we've kind of open sourced that concept so that other e-commerce companies can see that okay, you can actually you know stay true to your roots around sustainability and do it in a way that is that is accretive to the business. Same thing with our our one for one membership program. So for every membership we sell, we give away a free one to a low income family, student, teacher, veteran, first responder, and unlike. You know, many of these one-for-one programs, obviously, the, the membership is is a, is a free product that we're able to give out, which allows us to provide access to those communities uh, who most need it. But obviously, they're then able to kind of come and, uh, and transact in our platform, which helps, you know, drive growth and scale and purchasing power for our business, which then we can fuel back into uh, into additional savings for our entire membership base. So the the countless examples like this that create um, create virtual cycles for us where, you know, we've been we've been able to execute on the mission in a way that you know really kind of creates these like win 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 scenarios where it's it's kind of neutral to positive for the business. Our consumers appreciate it, and you know the kind of the the, the mission constituencies, whether it be our our Giz members or the planet, are also the beneficiaries.
0: I like that you open source how you were able to do that to show everyone else it's possible. Sure. Remind, you're like a like a Elon Musk for groceries. <laughs> <laughs> For that one, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, is there anything else that we want to get out there to the world today? If people go sign up. Is there a free trial or something we could point people to?
1: No free trial at the moment, but uh, but the membership's risk free. You know, sign up. Anyone doesn't like it, you have a 30 day period to um, to reach out and and you'll get your money back. But uh, but we're confident that you know that anyone who goes out and tries it will have, will have an amazing experience.
0: Amazing. Well, Sasha, man, we made a podcast. How do you feel?
1: Feels great. This was a lot of fun.
0: Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.